Hello, welcome to Basic Snitches. Hello. What's your name? I'm Tara. My name is Adam. Merry Christmas. Or Merry Happy holidays. Hanukkah. Or Kwanzaa. Or Celebrate Festivus, whatever the hell you want whatever. always. Festivus. That's right. As usual, you guys are used to this. During the holidays, every year, we give you a gift. You get to hear our voices. Which is a gift that you get every week anyway. <laughs> you get to hear our voices read you our version of a story right. that you're very familiar with. This year's version is The Goblet of Fire. Yes. So with a whole bunch of other people too. We yeah, had tons right. of guests then, so they're gonna you're gonna hear all these familiar voices. And you're gonna love it. Yeah. You're welcome. And so sit back, pour yourself a glass of piping cold <laughs> eggnog. Make sure egg Oh, oh no, don't make eggnog. Yeah, eggnog is nasty. I mean, it's okay. Make yourself some mulled cider. Yeah, some mulled cider. Oh, yeah. Or just drink straight from the bottle of whiskey, because yeah. guess what? The holidays can also be a time when you have to do that. And by can also, he means are. Ding dong. <laughs> Enjoy. Bye. Oh, check to Wonder Real. 50 years ago, three people mysteriously died in their house on the hill in a small village called Little Hangleton. There were no clues to who could have killed them, nor how it was that they came to be dead. Did you literally just copy and paste the chapter? No! I feel like that's how this fucking... Okay. Literally, no! After Frank Bryce, the gardener of the estate, is arrested for murder, the villagers are quick to speak words against a man who they previously wouldn't have believed would do such a thing. After nobody could prove that Frank was responsible for the death of the Riddle family, he was released and he came back to Little Angleton to live in his small cottage on the abandoned property. Little Angleton is apparently very boring because people continue to gossip about Frank long after his name is cleared. That bitch Dot... Oh, she's like the highlight of the chapter. I fucking hate Dot. Dot is probably still gossiping about it with her grandchildren. Honestly, get a fucking life, Dot. Anyway, it is now 50 years later and Frank is in his cottage trying to get some sleep. When his bad leg wakes him up in the middle of the night, that's what I say when fucking Tara wakes me up in the middle of the night. When he gets up to go to the kitchen and he notices the light of a fire in the big house, he doesn't call the police, which he can't by the way because even though it's the mid-90s, he doesn't have a fucking phone for whatever stupid reason. He also hates the police, don't we all? Thanks to this past, which makes sense. Instead, he decides to go into the house to tell off the boys he assumes have broken into the house. What he should have done was make himself a drink and go back to bed. Mm -hmm. Frank creeps through the house and hears the voices of two men moving through the upstairs hallway. They are talking about weird shit like Quidditch and Muggles and milking whoever and whatever Nagini is. And then they start talking about Harry Potter. He doesn't know who that is or why they are talking about him, but it is immediately very clear to Frank that these men have plans to kill him. They also have killed someone named Bertha Jorkins. Warning, Frank, these are bad dudes. Frank decides he's going to sneak back out of the house and go into the village to call the police, which he could have already done if he had a fucking telephone instead of living in the 1800s. Unfortunately, as he is about to sneak away, a giant ass snake slithers through the hall towards him. When the snake does not attack him, it seems like things will be okay. Until he hears a bunch of hissing in the room, and Frank gets a weird feeling that one of the men can talk to snakes, and that the snake just sold his ass to these murdering intruders, and well, this is 100% bad news for Frank. 
The men have discovered Frank, and though he attempts to be brave during the confrontation, there is no way out. Frank threatens them with the police and lies to them about having a wife that will notice his disappearance. They counter by calling him a muggle, whatever the hell that is, and calling him out his bullshit lie about a wife. They're like, we know you gay as fuck. Uh, one of the men turns the chair where the voice of the other man has been coming from. Where Frank sees what is sitting in the chair. He barely has a moment to be disgusted and horrified before there's a flash of green light. And he is killed instantly. Rip Frank. Oh, and you may have noticed this book is about Harry Potter. But he's only mentioned a few times in this chapter. So just to make sure we don't forget him, the last time of this chapter mentions that again. Chapter 2, The Scar. I'm going to put this wine down. I did not write that. This chapter is aptly named because it's the only new thing of interest in the whole chapter. Harry wakes up after the scary dream and his scar hurt. He looks around for Voldemort, but he realizes he's at the Dursleys. Close, but still not Voldemort. We get a recap of most of the important things that have led up to this point. Who is Harry Potter? What's Hogwarts? Dumbledore, Hermione, the Weasleys, and Sirius exist. Sirius! Oh yeah, he'll know what to do. Harry writes Sirius a letter bitching about his scar. Check in with the mug fucks. Dudley is super fat now. There are no less than four different ways he is described as being fat. So basically, some classic fat shaming. Gross. Anyway, he's on a diet and so is everyone, but Harry is actually hoarding cake in his bedroom, which is super relatable. <laughs> the doorbell rings and it's the mailman with a letter from Mrs. Weasley, except because she's a witch and is used to sending mail by owl, she didn't know she didn't need to cover the envelope with stamps to mail a letter to Harry. Oops. But the mailman thinks it's funny and Uncle Vermin Douchely hates weird shit, so he interrogates Harry about the letter and it looks like he is not going to give Harry permission to go with the Weasleys to the World Cup. But props to Mrs. Weasley for supporting the USPS. Thank That's, you. I put that in. She didn't write that. Also, like, this is London, but whatever. Or England. Whatever. The UKPS. Yeah. Eventually, Sassy Sorry. Harry starts to defend himself, and then he pulls out the winning I got a letter Sirius to finish, and Sirius happens to be a convicted murderer who escaped prison. He's also Harry's godfather, oh, and he also actually innocent, but why do the Dursleys need to know that? So Vermin tells Harry he can go, and Harry goes to his room to find Gwen Hedwig has returned, and also Ron's new owl has brought him a letter about the World Cup. Harry sends his letter to Sirius with Hedwig, and the chapter ends with him eating old ass birthday cake and feeling happy that he is leaving Muggleland extra early this summer. Hi there! Are you an idiot that buys a house with a charming wood-burning fireplace, but instead of cherishing that amazing functional focal point that adds plenty of value to your home, you choose to board it up and plug in one of those cheap, ugly, fake coal lamp things that isn't fooling anyone? Well, you shouldn't do that, because that's so fucking stupid. Here's why. Harry and the Dursleys are waiting for the Weasleys to arrive with bated breath. As the day goes on, everything gets more and more tense. Vernon can't function, he just stares at the newspaper pretending to read it, but let's be honest there. That's what he always does because that inbred douche rocket doesn't know how to read. Petunia scuttles around the house, obsessive compulsively tidying up, not because she wants to impress the Weasleys, but because she refused to go to therapy because she doesn't believe in science. And Dudley is holding his own ass, but we can't tell if it's because he has an underdeveloped brain from never getting vaccines, or because he's near shitting himself because all he had to eat today was cottage cheese and grated celery. <laughs> 
When they're late, the mug fucks have a tantrum because they really cared that much. When all of a sudden, they scurry into the kitchen like lemmings because they hear voices behind the fireplace. I don't know what the big deal is. They hear voices the rest of the time. Why is this time any different? It's Arthur, Ron, and the twin. They hooked the Dursley's fireplace up to the flu network. But unfortunately, you guessed it, the Dursleys boarded up their perfectly good fireplace. So, Arthur blasts apart the tacky facade, which is the name of the secondhand storm Adam runs. It's right next to the knobby bush or whatever the fuck Tara's daycare was called. You'd think that Mount Vesuvius would have erupted because the mug fucks are covered in dust and are completely petrified. Too bad they aren't dead too. The twins go to get Harry's trunk. Arthur and Ron are polite and cordial, but the Dursleys don't respond because apparently whatever was left of their lobotomies have leaked out of their ears. On the way back, Fred drops some candy on the floor. Fred, George, and Ron all vanish back into the fireplace with Harry's trunk, and as Harry is about to vanish too, Arthur chastises Vernon for not saying goodbye to his neck. And because Vernon's spine is about as thin and fragile as Skinny Dick's dick, he wishes Harry goodbye. But then all hell breaks loose because Dudley is like a dog and would eat his own shit off the floor. One better, he eats the toffee that Fred dropped and his tongue turns into a big purple misshapen mess, which Petunia mistakes for Vernon's dick and they try to pull it out of Dudley's mouth. Harry vanishes into the fireplace, back to the burrow, leaving Arthur to sort it all out. So let's be a lesson. Vaccinate your children, go to therapy, vote blue, don't be a selfish cock goblin, and for the love of God, if you have a fireplace in your home, don't cover it up, you idiot. Harry is now back at the burrow, hooray! And he gets to meet Charlie and Bill before Mr. Weasley comes back and lectures Fred and George for leaving one of their inventions, a ton-tongue toffee, behind for Dudley to find. Mrs. Weasley comes in to join in on the discipline and Harry and Ron leave with Hermione and Ginny. The four of them go upstairs, annoying Percy on the way and ending up in Ron's room where they talk about the twins and how Mrs. Weasley is disappointed in them. It's dinner time and Harry finally gets to eat something more than cake this summer. Percy proves he is maybe the most boring human on the planet and manages to give us basic information on two characters we will be meeting in a few chapters. Hooray for exposition! Time to move this story along. More talk about the World Cup. Mention Victor Crumb and Bertha Jorkins. Blah blah. This chapter is boring. Minus some great one-liners from Ron and the Twins. It's time to travel to the Quidditch World Cup. How exciting! The only problem is, most of the crew aren't able to apparate. What's apparating, you ask? Well, it's basically teleportation, and you have to have a license for it. If you do it incorrectly, you might lose body parts, but that's okay, you'll probably get them back, but you'll probably get a fine. Honestly, I'd take my chances over trying to find some dirty old boot, which is actually what we're after in this chapter. This boot happens to be called a port key. Another method of magical transportation for those who can't operate. They have to use it because with thousands of witches and wizards congregating in one location, they have to be extra careful. Thus, everyone except for Bill, Charlie, and Percy wake up super early so that they can walk to the top of a hill to grab a boot. On their way out, Molly summons all of the ton-ton coffees from the twins, so now they are salty. Finally, they get to the top of the hill, and the only other people who chose this port key location from anywhere around are the Diggories. We know Cedric. We meet his dad, too, who is kind of a dick to Harry. Everyone touches the boot, and off they go. The port key takes everyone to a moor, and a wizard wearing a terrible muggle disguise sends them to a real muggle who sets them up with their campsite. Mr. Weasley apparently doesn't understand numbers. I would say who doesn't, but I actually understand numbers now, so. I mean, I, I understand numbers better than him. That's the end. <laughs> anyway, the children and Mr. Weasley put up some tents, and the trio go to get water, 
and they see a bunch of their classmates on the way. When they return, they learn that Mr. Weasley has been playing with matches, and finally he has to let Hermione show him how to do it right. Seriously, what would they have done if they hadn't invited her on the trip? Finally, we meet Ludo Bagman. He's basically an idiot who also happens to hold a fairly important position in the Ministry of Magic. He bets on the match with the twins, and then Barty Crouch shows up. He is basically the human definition of boring aff, so no wonder Percy is in love with him. Crouch is grouchy, and clearly he has no desire to be at this event, which is truly quite relatable, honestly. Then it's time for the match, and everyone buys shamrocks because Ireland also ripped to Kevin's slug. I like that slug. It's time for the Quidditch World Cup. Harry, Hermione, and the Weasleys enter the gigantic stadium that's so regal and opulent that it almost looks like a giant opera house instead filled with thousands of wizards. They have the esteemed honor of being able to sit in the top box right at the very center and edge of the stadium, the best seats in the house. That's where Harry notices a shriveled little turnip creature that he assumes is Dobby. And actually, it appears to be another house elf, Winky, who we later learn is Barty Crouch's. She basically says that Dobby has debt, big dick energy, since now he's free and is demanding to be paid. But that's not what being a house elf is all about. More people begin to file into the box, including Fudge Packer, Luscious Boy Toy, and the Bulgarian Minister of Magic. Things are slightly awkward when the Malfoys enter and Fudge Packer says that they're his guests because he just donated a lot of money to St. Mungo's, which sounds weird for Malfoy to do, but I decided that's code for they be fucking. Once they're in place, Ludo Bagman sonorizes his voice and welcome everyone to the cup. It's about to begin. The Bulgarian's Vila mascots begin by dancing and making all the men all hot and bothered, except for Percy and others, of course. And Harry decided to kill himself, but he doesn't. Then when Ireland's leprechaun mascots show up and it's all rainbows, much more Percy's speed and gold falling from the sky. Which is nice. The match begins. Harry is watching closely through his omnoculars, allowing him to slow down the lightning fast plays and seeing the name of each play slash tactic. It turns out that professional Quidditch is just as backstabbing and dangerous as school Quidditch, with fake outs, plenty of penalties, with the Bulgarians playing dirty, and even the mascots getting dirty. At one point, the Vilas almost gangbang the referee, and the Leprechauns keep spelling out fuck Bulgaria in the sky. Meanwhile, Ireland is killing it, scoring goal after goal. Suddenly, a bludger bashes Victor Crumb right in the face, and the Irish Seeker Lynch sees the snitch. Despite having a bloodied up face and losing pretty bad, Crumb catches the snitch anyways. Ireland wins 170 to 160. We learn that the Bulgarian Minister of Magic was fucking with Fudge the whole time, making Lucius incredibly jealous, and all of the teams come up to the top box. Such a cool way to end the game. Oh, and the twins also get all the money for actually betting correctly. Chapter 9, The Dark Mark. Everything goes to shit. Arthur Weasley very quickly packs up the tent after just a few hours of sleep, hurries back to the port key, and the group takes the trek back home. Molly is waiting for them eagerly worried after reading the Daily Prophet article about the dark mark, and she really is the best mom ever. Feeling bad for lecturing the twins and the potential of that being the last thing she'd ever tell them. After reading the article, they see that the journalist, Rita Skeeter, is bashing the ministry for poorly executing the Quidditch World Cup, and even calls out Arthur, just not by name, mentioning one official emerging from the woods to say that nobody was hurt, but no further information. Honestly, she's completely correct if it weren't for her stating the rumor of several bodies being removed from the woods later. But otherwise, she's correct about the Ministry doing a piss-poor job. The trio go up to Ron's room momentarily after Harry asks if Hedwig had been around when he finally reveals what happened about 140 pages ago, 
about his scar hurting in conjunction with a very accurate dream about shriveled penis and skinny dick and how it coincided with the dark mark and how he sent Sirius a letter. Still to not have heard back. To take their mind off of things, they play Quidditch as a reminder that magic is still awesome and fun and good too. Meanwhile, Arthur says that he needs to go into the office despite it being a holiday to clear things up. Percy does too because, oh hey, in case you didn't remember it, between him mentioning it every five minutes and him always talking about how much he just loves mouthing Mr. Crouch's wand, Percy also works for the Ministry. He does also say that he's getting a bunch of howlers from people upset with how the Ministry has handled things. Once again, the general wizarding population is right, and if they would take this as a warning for some serious reform, then maybe the next few books would turn out better too. Also, this sounds quite familiar considering current events in 2022, doesn't it? Percy also starts to go off about how disastrous it was for Winky to be using a wand without knowing any details. Arthur brings up that it's a good thing Rita didn't hear about Crouch's elf. And that starts Percy off instead of blame, putting the blame on Crouch and then Hermione puts him rightfully in his place. Molly recommends they all begin to pack. We see that Molly got all of Harry's supplies plus a little extra gold. How sweet. Also, they require dress robes this year. Hmm. Ron would rather go naked, but honestly, who wouldn't be naked is awesome. Summer is over, which is sad for the kids, but great for us because that means it's finally time to go to Hogwarts, only 170 pages into the fucking book. But first, a little more time at the borough, complete with more of a glimpse into Mr. Weasley's crazy job. A visit from Amos Diggory's head, a reminder that Percy is still the most annoying member of the family, not that we needed it. The first mention of Mad-Eye Moody, and a coy little goodbye from the oldest two Weasley brothers. Now we're finally on the Hogwarts Express, and it's time for the usual combination of Hermione schooling the boys on shit they should have probably already known, Malfoy being an asshole, and the short reunions with the other Gryffindor boys. The chapter ends because with Hagrid meeting the students at Hogsmeade and everyone climbing into the horseless carriages that will take them home. The students finally make their way up to the castle. It's rainy and windy and cold, and just as they are welcomed in, Dick Peeves starts throwing water balloons. Once they get past him, they make their way to the beautiful Great Hall. We get a recap of how beautiful and welcoming it is. They instantly start looking for who the new Defense Against the Dark Arts professor could be, but don't see anyone new. The first years come in, all of them extremely soaked, and the Sorting Hat sings his annual song explaining what he's about to do. The sorting begins, and the feast begins, much to Ron's delight. As they eat, nearly headless Nick tells the trio they almost didn't have a feast because Peeves is such an asshole, causing a ruckus <laughs> in the kitchen with all the house elves. Hermione is in shock to hear that all the food is made and fires are lit by slave labor and refuses to eat for the rest of the evening. Oh, uh, Hermione, you better be careful. I'm sure you don't have stale birthday cakes hidden under your floorboards in the dormitory. Once that ends, Dumbledore has his annual announcements, first announcing that Quidditch ain't happening. Remember when we said it's not important after book three? We got all our Quidditch-ishness out at the Quidditch World Cup, and now Quidditch is dead. Why no Quidditch? Well, it's going to be replaced by... Flash of Lightning, a mangled old carved a piece of wood man comes in. He got a spooky eyeball. I don't know what that's funny. You got a spooky eyeball. That's what you broke. I know. It sounds <laughs> the way you said it was very matter of fact. Well, like they it, it's, like, it's gonna be replaced by, and they're just like flash lightning, no pause or anything for dramatic effect. This this motherfucker comes in. He got a spooky eyeball. 
I'm not sure what else you expected from me. I don't um, know, but I like he, it. <laughs> he sits at the head table and starts eating sausages and drinks from a flask. Mangled old carved up piece of wood man is very relatable. We learn that he is moody and is it's the, the new same. <laughs> and is the new data professor. She's not. They don't have data classes. You know what that means? D A D A. I know. That's what you put. You put data. <laughs> they, have, they have data data like analysis classes at Hogwarts. This <laughs> anyway, that's right. Quidditch is dead because they're bringing back the Triwizard Tournament. Hogwarts, Bobaton, and Durmstrang, the three largest wizarding schools, will compete with one student representing each school. In the past, it was dangerous, honey, but this year they have precautions in place to make sure nobody dies. Sure, Jan. Chef's kiss. I have instincts. <laughs> <laughs> there will be an impartial judge determining who gets picked, and only 17 years and older can participate. Spoiler alert, it's another cup! Why are there so many cups in this book? Fred says he's going to enter no matter what using age spells. Fred, don't be in such a hurry to die. Oh, too soon. <laughs> Everyone goes back to their common rooms. Hermione gets annoyed at the fire. <laughs> Everybody goes to bed. And it sounds very cozy. As Harry falls asleep, he has a vision of him winning the Triwizard Cup. And they say Harry isn't good at divination. Psh. First day of school, hooray! Herbology, care of magical creatures, divination, not so bad for a first day. They get to deal with pus in herbology, followed by the introduction of blast and scroots in care of magical creatures. Honestly, not a great start of the day for the Gryffindors. But then the day gets even more fun with double divination, Adam's favorite. Ron and Harry's, not so much. Anyway, Harry almost falls asleep. Then he is super sassy with Trelawney because she guesses his birthday wrong. Later, Ron earns the class all the homework for being an idiot and a pervert. First day of school is still not fantastic for the boys. For the record, Hermione got through her afternoon without homework, which he may have actually been disappointed about because she's Hermione. But nobody has much time to think about that because fucking Draco is back to run his mouth about Ron's dad. But then the most amazing thing happens. Mad-Eye Moody turns the little bastard into a fucking ferret. It's hilarious and glorious and then it's sadly stopped by McGut. She says something like, how you shouldn't use transfiguration to punish students and blah blah blah. That's my McGonagall. I like it. Uh, but seriously, I think she secretly would have also loved to transfigure that little fucker into a rodent. Rodent. A rodent? That, you didn't write that. That was my voice. <laughs> into a rodent and bounce him around the castle. And like Ron, we all wish we could capture that vision in our heads forever. Malfoy the amazing bouncing ferret. Yay. That sounds like a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for data analysis class. The students sit in the classroom, brimming with anticipation of what Professor Moody will be teaching them. With great insight and frankness, Moody... <laughs> That's my line. <laughs> with great insight and frankness, Moody takes roll call, then explains that while Lupin did a great job teaching them about dark creatures, they have no experience on curses. So first class of the semester, and we're already learning about the three unforgivable curses. And they are Imperious, the Controlling Curse, Cruciatus, the torturing curse, and worst of all, when people say F you or what the F or friggles or whatever curse they use instead of just saying fuck, just say fuck, just kidding, it's a vada cadabra. Moody does all three to some spiders. Aragog is quaking. Neville reacts particularly sensitively 
to Cruciatus, which the class is a bit surprised that he was so aware of. Likewise, Harry has a startled reaction to Avada Kedavra. Gee, could this have something to do with their respective parents? After class, Neville is seen staring out the window, trapped in thought. The trio approach him, and Moody intervenes and offers to make Neville some tea. Later in the common room, Harry and Ron are fucking up their divination homework, or are they? Neville is much more calm and reading a book Moody gave him, recommended by Quinn Pomfrey, who says he's good at herbology. It's actually... Ah, fuck, I did it again. Professor Brown. But Quinn Pomfrey also exists, just to remind They're basically the same. Have you ever seen them in the same room together? No. Well, (laughs) I think it solved a mystery. (laughs) The twins are plotting something. Hermione glides into the common room a bit later, beaming with pride, announcing the formulation of a new school club, SPEW, the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare. While I appreciate her ambition, after all those hours spent in the library doing research, you'd think she'd have done some research on Robert's Rules of Order, because she just appoints Ron and Harry as secretary before they could even agree to join Oh, secretary and treasurer, sorry about that. Yes, Uh, yes, as secretary and treasurer, or... Rather, treasurer and secretary. And then, Quen Hedwig arrives, finally, with a response from Sirius, who basically says, OMG, it's another sign, I'm coming up there. Harry blames himself for this, worried that he's going to get caught, and tells Hedwig that she ain't getting no croissant, which is honestly so rude. Harry is a terrible liar and writes another letter to Sirius. Hermione calls him out for it because she should. But something he isn't terrible at is fighting off the Imperious Curse, which, by the way, is illegal. But at Hogwarts, it's fine if your defense against the dark arts teacher performs it on you. Totally okay. Then we get a little peek into most of their classes. Most importantly, we get to see Hagrid get a dig in at Malfoy. Perhaps blast-ended scroots like to eat ferrets? Posters about the arrival of bow battens and dur... dur... durstring? Posters about the arrival of bow battens and durstring? The whole, like, in the mouth hole thing all over again? No, no, this is a typo. It's a typo. I've been a typo. This is a typo, and I completely blanked because I was like, wait, is it a typo? Have I been saying the name wrong this whole time? So it's a typo because I'm terrible. It's fine. Posters about the arrival of Bow Buttons and Durmstrang are put up, and we get a random interjection about Cedric Diggory from Ernie McMillan, and Ron is rude for no reason. Speaking of rude, McGee calls out Neville for not being able to do simple spells. I mean, I guess she's not wrong, but still kind of rude. Anyway, at breakfast the next day, Hermione and the twins discuss. Hermione. You sure you ain't drinking, honey? I told you I'm very good at acting drunk when I want to act drunk. <laughs> I'm way ahead. I'm doing nice, so. Guys, I haven't acted in like nine months. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Oh, I, don't, I don't know how to act anymore, so. Anyway, at breakfast the next day, Hermione and the twins discuss house elf rights and the location of the kitchens. Harry receives a letter from Sirius calling him out for being a terrible liar, and we also get to see Quen Hedwig? Quen, yeah, that is not a typo. That is not a typo, okay. We also get to see Quen Hedwig for a moment before they all go to class. And finally, we get the arrival of Bo Battens and Durmstrang, meaning we get to meet another Quen, Madame Maxine. We also get to meet Igor Karkaroff. Boo on that guy, he's kind of terrible. But you know who's not terrible? Victor Crumb who also happens to be an international Quidditch star and a student of Durmstrang. Gee, I wonder who will be the Durmstrang champion. Ron immediately starts fangirling over Cum, I mean Crum, along with a bunch of other girls. And let's face it, boys too. Ron gets pouty when Cum, I mean Crum, 
decides to sit with the Slytherins instead of him and instantly becomes jealous of Malfoy. He also starts imagining where Cum, I mean Crumb, is going to sleep, dreaming that he'll come to sleep with him. Dumbledore gives his annual enjoy your food before I talk about what dangerous shit is going to happen this year speech. Everyone stuffs their face with the food prepared for them by the elfish slave. Flower Delcour, the hot French blonde, comes over to the trio to steal their food and Ron's wand gives her its full attention from inside his pants. As she leaves, he mentions that she is a Vila. Several of the boys, and let's face it, girls, stare at Flower as she walks away. There's so much sexual tension this year. After dinner, Dior introduces Ludo Bagman and Crouch so they can introduce the rules of the Triwizard Tournament. He explains that there will be three challenges for the champions to complete, and they will be dangerous. But don't worry, not dangerous enough to require a permission slip from a parent or guardian, unlike going to the nearby village to buy candy and shit. Champions will be chosen by the Goblet of Fire! Get it? Like the name of the book. He reveals the Goblet of Fire and it is flaming. Flaming more than Brian and Adam at a Celine Dion themed brunch. I don't really care for Celine that much. But Get okay. out. <laughs> I'm a Sade gay. <laughs> Interested students must put their name in school into the goblet to be considered, and the winners will be chosen on Halloween. Because, you know, that's when shit goes down every year. Dedor reminds everyone how dangerous this is going to be, but again, your parents do not need to be okay with it. As the Durmstrang students get ready to head back to their ship, Karkarov gives Harry an evil look of evil, because Harry doesn't get enough of those looks. The next morning, everyone gossips about who has hasn't put them in the flamer cup yet. Not to be confused with the flamer bowl, aka Abby's toilet. Oh my god! Hold on. Pause everything. Hold <laughs> up this shit. <laughs> what the fuck is going on in here on this day? Excuse me? <laughs> Whatever. <clears throat> Fred, George, and Lee enter having taken an aging potion to try to trick the flamer cup. They step over the line and immediately get thrown back and suddenly become insta-daddies. No complaints here. Dedor comes in and is like, ha ha, bitch, you think you can fool me? It takes time to reach daddy status. The trio decide to go visit Hagrid, who could really use the queer eye guys to help after attempting to dress himself up to impress Madame Maxipad. Hermione <laughs> shove speed on Hagrid's throat. Well, gross. And Hagrid's basically like, well, no. Now it's time to reveal the champions. For Darmstring, um, I mean Crumb. For Bobaton, Flower Delcor. And for Hogwarts, Cedric motherfucking Diggory. That's right, a Hufflepuff. Now it was time to get started with, oh shit, hold on. Uh, we've got another name coming out of the Flamer Cup because Hufflepuff doesn't deserve happiness, I guess. Dedor reveals the fourth name. Yes, it's Harry. Everyone in the Great Hall is staring at Harry and he awkwardly goes to the chamber where the other three champions are waiting. Before any of the children can get any kind of clarity, Ludo Bagman bounces in and excitedly tells them that all that Harry has been named the fourth champion. Bagman's upbeat tone is immediately drowned out by the arrival of the heads of each school. Crouch, McGut, and for whatever fucking reason, Snape. The confusion causes some understandable upset while Dumbledore very calmly asks Harry if he put his name in the Flamer Cup. Rewind. Let's repeat that. Dumble asks Harry if he put his name in the cup calmly. Calmly. That's literally how it's written. I'm not doing that for effect. <laughs> so that's how Tara wrote it. Actual quote from the actual book. Did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire, Harry? He asked calmly. Doesn't the word calmly look funny now? Anyway, 
more implied non-violent interrogation from Dumbledore reveals that Harry did not ask anyone else to put his name in. It also gives everyone in the room more opportunity to throw out their own uninvited commentary. While Karkaroff and Maxime and their champions are understandably angry, the rest of the adults in the room try to make some sense of the situation. Well, Dumbledore, McGuh, Mr. Crouch, and Ludo Bagman do. Snape just continues to bitch about Harry and add nothing helpful to the conversation because he's Snape and why the fuck is he even here?! Then, Moody comes in, says some ominous shit, rains a bit on Bagman's parade, makes it very clear that he fucking hates Karkaroff, then steps back to let Dumble and the others continue their conversation. Ludo and Dumble suggest drinks. Crouch says no, cause he lame af. Maxime, Fleur, Karkaroff, and Crumb leave the room because this tournament already looks like bullshit to them. Harry and Cedric leave together, and Cedric asks Harry, probably calmly, how he put his name in the Famer Cup. He repeats that he didn't, but it's clear that Cedric, like everyone else except McGup, Moody, and maybe Dumbledore? That's okay, though, because Ron and Hermione will believe him, right? Um, no. Sort of. Yes. Half yes. Don't... I, I'm making fun of you. Hermione is not... Uh, she's freaking out over here. Because I wrote this... I worked really hard on this. <laughs> Hermione is not around when he gets back to the common room, and Ron... Well, Ron does not believe Harry. Actually, he's pissed and pretty unkind about the whole thing. So all in all, not the Halloween that Harry had expected this year. Luckily, after a shocking yesterday, Harry wakes up to a room of cheering Gryffindors and then is intercepted by Hermione, who brings Harry toasts, asks him to come on a walk, and is very open, honest, and almost even motherly to Harry. Hermione has elevated to Quinn's status at this point. She recommends, with a little bit of pushback, that Harry write to Sirius again, which she eventually persuades him to do. Unfortunately, other BFF Quen Hedwig is kind of a bitch to Harry. Sad face. Harry has to go to classes and gets a lot of cold shoulders from everyone who doesn't believe he wouldn't put his name in there. Honestly, everyone gives Harry so much more credit than he deserves. And let's be honest, Harry still deserves a lot. Poor Harry. However, more Quenliness comes from Hagrid who also opens up and believes Harry while making all the other students take the fire lobsters out for a drag. Fuck yes, cousin it. Not all classes are cool though, next is potions. Draco and the other Slytherins made Potter Stinks badges. Harry and Draco both duel each other, both missing their targets. Snape sends Goyle or Crab or whomever, it doesn't matter, it's irrelevant, to the hospital wing, but he sees no difference in Hermione and then gives Ron and Harry detention, takes a 50 points from Gryffindor, and then alludes to poisoning Harry at the end of class. Well, joke's on him because, spoiler alert, he gets 50 points taken away at the end of this chapter, too. At that point... <laughs> There's no possibility of redemption for him, no matter what happens. Hey, Harry, when you have kids, remember this moment so you don't name them after him? Colin Creevy comes to save the day, something I thought I'd never say, and says that Harry needs to go meet the other champions. First, an interview with Rita Skeeter. She is kind of fabulous, but, you know, she smells like old lady perfume, and her quill is kind of a bitch. Speaking of bitches, Dumbledore interjects, and these two catty quens... I'm sorry, they are not quens, they are queens. <laughs> These two catty queens read each other to filth, honey. Maybe the gayest moment we've seen so far in the series? I may be wrong, but even if I am, don't worry, because in a few chapters, we'll be in the prefect's bathroom and Moaning Myrtle will be looking at everyone's dicks under the water. Oh, did I say dicks? Yeah, that's right. It's time for the weighing of the wands. Ollivander comes in and inspects everyone's wands. 
Yep, that's right. Everyone drops trow and he makes things like smoke wine or flowers come out of the end of the everyone's wands. He must be very talented. Good thing he didn't have to inspect Madame Maxime's wand. You know, she'd come in and it would be like a sack of potatoes, which is what Tara called her last family reunion. <laughs> Being dropped on the table like wham! Ollivander might have gotten a broken arm with that thing weapon around. I hear that after Hagrid comes in contact with it, he names her wand the Whomping Willow. I'm exhausted from dick jokes. <laughs> Amid all this... <laughs> well, you better buckle up. I know! Amid all of this, Cedric proudly proclaims that he polishes wand that very night. Me too. And Harry's like, oh, whoops, I forgot my typical wand care. And starts polishing it right then and there. And Fleur is the only one to actually give him some side eye about it. Well, she might be right. She's still kind of a bitch. Yells Hermione from the hospital wing, burn a French flag. Anyway, <laughs> Ollivander says everyone's wands are a-okay. Everyone passes and then he purels his hands. <laughs> Guess what happens after some old guy plays with your wand? A photo shoot! <laughs> Then it's dinner time. Harry goes back to the common room, has a brief encounter with Ron where he's not completely a dick, because we've had enough of those in this chapter, and sees his response from Sirius, who wants to communicate via fire a couple of days before the first task because things are really heating up. The last sentence of that does not include a dick joke, and I'm kind of surprised. And then Sirius jokes on a dick. Rita Skeeter's article about the Triwizard Tournament, I mean Harry, has been published and the students are now even shittier to him than before, if that was possible. But you know who is not shitty to Harry? Hermione! Duh! Because she's the very best ever. Oh, also Cho Chang. She is nice to Harry and even tells him good luck on the first task. A few days before the first task, Hermione and Harry go to Hogsmeade together. Hermione suggests meeting up with Ron, but Harry, who is super fucking grouchy through most of this chapter, shoots that idea down. Instead, he makes her go everywhere with him while he hides under his invisibility cloak, and it just looks like she's talking to herself. They do meet up with Hagrid and Moody. Now, honestly, this is a real party. And Hagrid invites Harry on a late night stroll in the woods. How romantic. I added that. <laughs> oh, it is romantic. I didn't even mean that. I meant it between Harry and <laughs> Actually, it turns out that he's invited Madame Maxime on a late night stroll. Here he is basically tagging along, which is super awkward until they get to where they are going. And then Harry runs away screaming while Hagrid and his French bonbon fuck. Just kidding. But there are dragons out there, and they are apparently the first task. Should be easy. Harry leaves before he can witness Hagrid commit dragon egg theft. On his way out of the forest, he runs into Karkaroth, literally. So, every fucking body is a goddamn cheater. Cool. Cool. He runs back to the castle in time to meet Sirius, whose head appears in the Gryffindor common room fireplace. They have a lovely chat about how Karkaroth used to be a Death Eater and how Bertha Jorkins was an idiot. Then they are interrupted by footsteps. Sirius's head disappears just in time for Ron to appear. He and Harry are both little bitches and everyone goes to bed mad. Harry and Hermione head to the library to start looking for a simple charm to help Harry tame his dragon. I mean, all he has to do is drink whiskey, right? Yeah, I'm not done with dick jokes. Not now, not ever. I feel like that was meant for Tara. <laughs> it's meant for everybody. Speaking of dicks, in particular, one that Hermione really wants to trificus totalis, even though she acts like she doesn't, Victor comes uh, Victor comes up to also study, which ruffles Hermione's feathers so much that they go back to the common room so that she can probably hump a pillow. The day after, 
Harry tracks down Cedric in the hall on the way to Herbology, rudely destroys his bag in an effort to catch up to him. I mean, he can magic that back together, right? And then tells him that the first task is dragons. Cedric looks confused and suspicious. Suspicious, you say? Right on cue, Moody takes Harry to his office filled with many strange contraptions. Not the same type of contraptions that Snape and Filch have in their sex dungeon, but dark detectors? <laughs> Very interesting. He gives Harry some advice. Someone for the whole rule of where professors can't help strike too, and asks what he's good at, as his skills will help him in the task. Harry's like, nothing. And Moody says, you're good in shit if I say you are, before asking him what his best assets are, to which Harry responds, Quidditch. And then he proves that he's not really that great at anything after all, when Moody is like, so you should summon something that will help you fly, and that would be, uh, Ford Angula? Buckbeak? What? Gee, I don't know, Moody. What else can fly? Beats me. <laughs> Despite forgetting what a fucking broom is, Hermione then spends the rest of the day and evening, except for divination, hearts, 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 teaching Harry an actual summoning charm. Flitwick is nervous for his job, Quinn. My god, this chapter is long. That's actually written there. It says, my god, this chapter is long. Next day, time to fight the dragon. McGee comes, and she's so assuring and amazing as always, and drops him off at the tent where the champions are gathering. Bagman is a bubblegum bitch again, all excited, being like, you gonna fight dragons? You just gotta get the golden egg. Now come and choose your dragon! And what a surprise! Harry gets the Hungarian whortail. <laughs> Did I just say whortail? <laughs> You're Hungarian. Please tell me what of you. Because if you are, you're, you're a Hungarian horn tail. <laughs> My stepdad is Hungarian. Well, he's a horn tail. Well, I know. And what a surprise! Harry gets the Hungarian horn tail. It's not like the previous chapter's title didn't give that away or anything. I mean, really, chapter 19 could have been titled Madame Maxime and Hagrid Fuck in the Woods, and then this chapter could have been called the Hungarian horn tail. <laughs> You know I'm right. Then things get creepy for a sec when Bagman pulls Harry aside and is like, Hey, sweet baby, you need pointers? <laughs> Wait, hold on, pause. Pause the shit. <laughs> so when I wrote this, I was picturing Tara reading this, but I could not have hoped for that to go better than it. For the record, I would have read it well, but not this Not well. like that! <laughs> hey, baby. Hey, sweet baby. <laughs> <clears throat> and then pulls off the Ludo Bagman mask to reveal that it's been Lockhart all along. <laughs> now I'm dead. Am I wrong? This is why one? they didn't put him in the movie! Harry is fourth in line, so he has to sit in that tent sweating bullets listening to the other three confront their dragon and claim their egg. It's his turn. He successfully Accio's his, um, what was that thing called again? Uh, broom! Oh yeah, Axio, 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 Broom! <laughs> I'm actually dead now. He gradually strategically figures out he has to lure Mama Dragon away from her eggs, and when he finally is successful, he dives in and claims his prize. He's also the quickest to do so. Yas, Quen! Once the scores come out, he's also tied for first with Crumb, and we learn that Igor Karkaroff really is that girl we knew she was. A trifling one. After everyone is all like, yay, Harry, you the best, including McGee, Hagrid, Moody, Charlie Weasley, Hermione, and plot twist, Ron! He realizes that someone clearly had to put his name in the Flamer Cup because only someone with a death wish would put themselves up to this. They make up and make out, but you know who's not very happy about this? Quen Promfrey, who says the most intelligent thing ever that not a single person has brought up to this point. Why we got so many dangerous creatures at this motherfucking school? That's what she sounds like. Yup. 
Harry sends Sirius a letter to tell him that he managed to escape a fate as Dragon Dinner, and the trio go back to the Gryffindor common room to celebrate. In true Gryffindor fashion, they are greeted by a party. After Lee Jordan asks him, Harry opens the egg for everyone to hear the clue and immediately closes it because it just screams a lot and sounds terrible. Next, we find the Gryffindors with the Slytherins and care of magical creatures. Things are, as usual, not super great. The Scroots are basically terrorizing each other and the students. On top of the unpleasantness of the Scroots, Rita Skeeter shows up. Both Hermione and Harry are wary of her presence and her upcoming interview with Hagrid. But Ron cheers them up with the reminder that Dumbledore is in Hagrid's corner and also the possibility that his interview could be the end of their association with the Scroots. Followed by Care of Magical Creatures is the return to Harry and Ron being stupid teenage boys and Trelawney predicting Harry's death and divination. Hermione is nowhere to be seen at dinner and after the boys don't find her in the library, they head back towards the common room and she intercepts them just as the fat lady opens the portrait for them. She leads them away while the fat lady busts out some great sarcasm that is completely unappreciated by Ron. She leads them to the kitchens where Ron and Harry realize they must have something to do with SPDW and are a bit wary until suddenly Dobby is hugging Harry. He now works for Dumbledore. And that's not all. Dumbledore gave Winky a job too. Unlike Dobby, Winky is a mess. Hermione tries to talk to her, but she mostly just cries about missing Mr. Crouch. Fucking weir... weirio. Oh, I tried to write weirdo in case you, you should figure that out. I suck. Fucking weirdo. She's a fucking weirdo. That guy sucks, Winky. Get it together. Dobby makes the other house elves nervous when he talks about getting paid for his work. And Hermione fails to read the room when she asks Winky about how much she makes. This is followed by more dramatic wailing as Winky and some super truths about Crouch being an ass. It's all very dramatic and uncomfortable. After some trepidation, Dobby finally admits that the Malfoys are bad wizards. He relapses into self-abuse, but Harry stops him and reminds him of his freedom. Winky admonishes Dobby for sharing the secrets of his former master and goes on to pine over her former master again. Speaking of sharing secrets, Winky lets slip that Crouch told her that Ludo Bagman is also a bad wizard. They get no more details on that little tidbit, and the trio prepare to leave, accepting the cakes and other food offered to them by the house elves, and promising to see Dobby again. They head back to the common room discussing their visit to the kitchen while Ron digs into the snacks. Teenagers. Eye roll. It's Christmas times at Hogwarts. You'd think it would be a time to relax, but Harry is on guard because Fred and George keep trying to get cream in people's mouths. It seems their spiked candies are evolving. Fleur is being a French stereotype through this entire book, and Malfoy is still just being a dick. Apparently, Hermione has some dental work done, which nobody noticed, because apparently no one looks at her while she's talking. We get to watch Ron abuse his owl in front of some first-gear girls, and we get a <coughs> note from Sirius with the ever-helpful advice, Don't relax! <laughs> Hermione suggests that Harry might want to put a little effort into solving his egg riddle, but naturally the boys do not take that advice. On Christmas morning, Harry is woken up horror movie style by a couple of giant eyes, peering into his own, and we get a visit from fashion maven Dobby. Dobby unexpectedly knitted Harry some socks, and in return, Harry gave Dobby some third-hand socks, which once graced Uncle Vernon's hooves. Gross, Harry. Ron gives Dobby all the knit goods. Quen Molly made him, and he used the proper spelling of Quen. Of course he did. Well done. Thanks. And went ahead and started opening Harry's gifts, too. Christmas feast followed with an afternoon snowball fight, and then it was time to prepare for the Yule Ball. 
The boys get into their dress robes, and Ron is once again reminded that he is the sixth boy in a middle-class family. Never forget, Ron, you poor! <laughs> Everyone heads down to the Great Hall, where we learn a romantic fairy garden has been conjured in the courtyard. Hermione arrives, but nobody knows it's her because, I don't know, she parted her hair different, or maybe she took off her glasses? Harry must process into the hall with the other champions and lead the first dance, but once that's done, he let Parvati know he's a terrible date. Ron takes an opportunity to ruin Hermione's night and be a xenophobic asshat at the same time. Efficient. And Percy visits for a good brag. Once their dates have given up on them, Harry and Ron take a romantic walk in the garden to listen to other people talk and fool around. Students are trying to get it on in the bushes, and I'm fairly certain Roger Davies was roofied <laughs> by Fleur. <laughs> I like that. We get to witness Snape and Karkaroff being sketchy and watch Hagrid crash and burn the, his moment with Madame Maxine. Cedric suggests Harry take off his clothes and play with his egg in the tub before leaving to Snog Cho. The night culminates with a shouting match between Ron and Hermione, where the first real evidence of their future romance start to show. Christmas is over, and it's time for Harry to play with his egg. Harry is rather bad at playing with his egg, even though Cedric gave him a major tip. And if you recall, Cedric had good wand hygiene a few chapters ago. Harry's lost. Off to classes! Once they get to Care of Magical Creatures, they get a reprieve from Scroots, because strangely enough, Hagrid isn't there. Instead, it's the very boring sub-professor Grumbly Plank. She is named as such because that's what her body looks like. She brought a unicorn for all the girls to pet, and while they're distracted, Malfoy reveals what happened to Hagrid in quite a scathing article written by Rita Skeeter about his half-giant heritage, contributed to by Malfoy himself in deciding to speak for the entire class. Not sure how this article is news or anything, and I guess they don't have libel in the wizarding world. And while there is some truth to the article, it's very unnecessary. Anyways, it's time for Harry's first cloakless trip to Hogsmeade. Harry hopes he'll see Hagrid at the Three Broomsticks, since he's been ignoring his knocks at his cabin. Alas, instead, he sees a bunch of assholes. <laughs> first, Ludo Backman, surrounded by his adoring fans, a horde of goblins. Bagman says that the goblins are interested in seeing Crouch, but Percy says Crouch is sick, and best to keep out of Rita Skeeter's earshot, because then she'll make some shit up about Crouch going missing, just like Bertha Jorkins. And then we have him get all creepy again, getting all up in Harry's business about his egg. After that, the bitch's ear must have been itching because in comes Rita, dressed as a banana and talking shit before Harry almost starts a bar fight with her, basically calling her a mangy twat for spreading lies about Hagrid. And then Hermione punches Rita in the face. Such a great moment. There are so many suspicious people in this chapter. On the way back to the castle, they try Hagrid's hut one more time, and finally the door opens to reveal Quen Dumbledore, who is there to calm Hagrid's nerves, who is thinking of resigning. Dumbledore is like, the fuck you ain't! <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I'm still here. And then leaves. Harry's like, yeah, what he said. And Hagrid tells the trio about his dad and how Harry reminds him of himself when he came to Hogwarts. And now, Harry's school champion. This reminds Harry of the egg. Damn, why everyone be so worried about Harry's egg? Harry carefully plans his next illegal excursion and heads to the prefix bathroom with all the necessary tools to give his egg a nice bath. 
With his wand, the invisibility cloak, the marauder's map, and the egg itself, he manages to find the fancy bathroom. After playing with bubbles for a bit, he opens the egg, only to have it scream like before. He is then interrupted by Moaning Myrtle, who has been spying on him. He calls Myrtle out for being an absolute creep, then follows her suggestion to open the egg under the water. He does this and learns from the egg, that now sings instead of screams, that he has to go find the people for his next task. Checking the Marauder's map, Harry starts back towards Gryffindor Tower. His path is clear, but of course he lets himself get distracted when he notices that Barty Crouch is in Snape's office. His curiosity gets the best of him, and he changes course, managing to fall into a, a trick step, dropping the map and the egg. He must have forgotten the summoning spell he worked so hard to perfect several chapters ago, though, because instead of summoning them both back to where he is stuck, he watches as Filch and Mrs. Norris come at the sound of his screaming egg. Before Filch can take the egg to Dumbledore and blame it on Peeves, Snape shows up. It looks like Harry is going to maybe get away with everything, as the two seem to be preparing to go check Snape's office for an intruder. Then, Moody shows up, and unlike Snape and Peeves, he can see Harry clearly on the steps. Snape notices the map, but Moody saves the day just in time by using the previously for forgotten by Harry summoning spell. After Snape and Filch leave, Moody helps Harry from the trick step. He asks Harry who he saw on the map in Snape's office, and if he could borrow the map before telling Harry he should consider a career as an auror when he grows up. After being saved from Snape's wrath the previous night by Professor Moody, Harry recounts the events of the last evening to Hermione and Ron during Charms class. Professor Flitwick flies across the room and it seems to be utter mayhem as students attempt the banishing charm. Harry, Ron, and Hermione all have different theories on why Crouch was searching through Snape's office, and they speculate on Dumbledore's reasons for giving Snape a second chance at Hogwarts. After class, Harry sends a letter to Sirius recounting what he had witnessed the night before. Deeply concerned that the second task is only a few weeks away, Harry, Ron, and Hermione direct most of their attention to figuring out how Harry can survive underwater for an hour without dying. 48 hours to go before the second task begins, Harry still has no idea how he is going to survive. Sirius sends Harry a cryptic note to have Harry send him the date he will next be in Hogsmeade. Harry responds back and wishes he had asked Sirius's advice on how to complete the next challenge. Harry, Ron, and Hermione go to Hagrid's class where Hagrid seems utterly confident that Harry will win the next task. The rest of the class plays with baby unicorns while Harry sinks into a spiral of panic and despair. With hours to go before the next task, Harry does what any procrastinating student does. He crams all night in the library looking for anything that can help him with the challenge. Halfway through going through any book he can find, Fred and George come to take Ron and Hermione to Professor McGonagall's office, and Harry is left alone for the rest of the night. Harry, utterly terrified and exhausted, falls asleep on a stack of books and is awoken by Dobby, who informs him that the second task will be starting in 10 minutes. Harry doom spirals and imagines going to the lake and not being able to complete the task at all and being a failure. I feel you, Harry. Me too. Dobby wants to make sure Harry gets his wheezy back and he gives Harry gillyweed, which he says will allow Harry to breathe other underwater. Harry runs as fast as he can down to the lake and he begins the second task with the other champions. Harry swallows the gillyweed, wades into the lake, and feels the sides of his neck turn into the gills. 
He dives into the water and sees that his hands and feet are webbed and he can easily glide through ice-cold water. Harry makes his way down into the depths of the lake. As he swims toward the Merpeople's underwater kingdom, he is attacked by Grindylows, aka water demons. He fights them off and just as he does this, Moaning Myrtle appears and asks, How is doing? Like, okay, what? What's up, dude? Quinn Myrtle, I'm telling you. (laughs) She points him in the direction of the merpeople. At last, he reaches the merpeople's kingdom. They are not beautiful mermaids at all, but grayish beings with yellow eyes, gnarly teeth, and spears. Harry arrives at the center of the village and sees Ron... (laughs) Harry arrives at the center of the village and sees Ron, Hermione, Cho, and Fleur's little sister bound to the stone statues as merpeople encircle them and sing their eerie songs. Because Harry is the only champion at the merpeople's village, he gets concerned that all the hostages will be lost if no one comes to get them. Just then, Cedric comes to retrieve Cho, and Harry sees he has a bubble around his head, which is allowing him to survive underwater. Cedric retrieves Cho and swims back to the surface. Crumb arrives next, and Harry sees that he has transformed his head into the head of a shark. He retrieves Hermione from the merpeople and swims back to the surface. Harry is now deeply concerned because he does not see Fleur coming to take her little sister back up to the surface, and time is getting short. Against the protests of the merpeople, Harry cuts both Ron and Fleur's little sister free, and he takes them both to the surface to finish the challenge. Despite finishing last because Harry wanted to make sure all the hostages were freed from the merpeople, he receives high marks for moral fiber and scores 45 points. Flora is so grateful that Harry saved her little sister that she gives Ron and Harry each a kiss on the cheek and that stuns them both silly. Harry is so grateful to Dobby that he decides he will buy him socks for every day of the year. Which is honestly the best part. After the second task, things seem to be about normal. Ron takes advantage of an opportunity to be the center of attention. Slytherins are rude to Hermione. Snape is an asshole. And Harry drops on a private conversation. So yeah, pretty normal. It's now time for a Hogsmeade visit, and this time they take food to the end of the road and meet up with Sirius, um, I mean, Snuffles. After Sirius, I mean, Snuffles, have eaten, he tells the trio the story of how Barty Crouch gave up his son to the Dementors because he was a Death Eater. We get a pretty in-depth background story that clearly indicates that Barty Crouch Jr. is dead. Hmm. Sirius Snuffles, whatever the fuck his name is, also drops some deets on Bertha Jorkins. Name some Death Eaters who are probably going to be mentioned again later and does this godfatherly thing and tells the kids not to sneak out to visit him. Time for Dobby to receive presents. Yay, Dobby! While the trio visits the kitchens, they check up on Winky and woo boy, is she a mess. Remember when Hermione said she'd get over it? Girl, no. Never tell someone going through trauma to just get over it because they end up becoming an alcoholic. That there, ladies and gentlemen, is the basic snitch's origin story. I did not come here to be attacked. Well, then why are you even here? Every <laughs> single episode, all I do is insult you. Yes, I know. So yes, you did come here to be attacked. <laughs> In her drunken stupor, Winky continues to say that everyone is nosing into her and Mr. Crouch's business. Hermione then gets even more pushy and tells all the elves that they deserve happiness and the forced group therapy session gets angry. In true house elf fashion, they force them out of the kitchen with a tray of donuts. At lunch, Hermione gets a whole bunch of hate mail, including some that is damaging by the equivalent of a bunch of internet trolls. Hey Hogwarts, you have magic. Why don't you have some sort of email filter from everything the owls bring? Hermione is resilient in these letters, but of course the boobatuber pus causes her hands to grow boils and this sends Hermione to the hospital wing. Pug bitch notices when Hermione isn't in Herbology or the beginning of Care of Magical Creatures. Somebody put a leash on Pug bitch because she has gone too far. Oh, but Care of Magical Creatures is amazing. The best character in the whole series is introduced. Nifflers! Oh yeah, Nifflers is the winner of the series, not... (laughs) 
Hagrid has a curriculum now that isn't dangerous. And Ron Sniffler gets the most coin, Henny. It's a great filling to the sandwich made with ship bread that this chapter is. They also learn that Leprechaun's goal vanishes. Gee, could that be important to something that happened previously in this book? Well, sort of, because Ron recognizes that he didn't actually pay Harry back for the omnoculars and feels bad for being poor. And we all feel bad for Ron. My, that's a refreshing change of pace after the first two-thirds of this book. When Hermione returns to class, she cusses Rita out and vows to avenge herself and figure out how Rita's been getting all of her information. You go, HBIC. Squash that bug. Rita is no longer fabulous, by the way. Ironically, she is now devoid of charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent. If you catch my drift. Speaking of gay catchphrases, they get their letter back from Percy, and as usual, he's so much a dick that he wishes he could suck himself. McGuh tells Harry he needs to go meet Bagman at the Quidditch pitch, which is now a whole bunch of hedges. Bagman can't hold still as he reveals that the third task is a maze. Then Victor pulls Harry aside just to make sure Harry isn't encroaching on his woman, and Harry clears things up. Crumb feels better and compliments Harry. Justice for Crumb. Oh, but unfortunately, nothing of the sort is on the horizon, because then the most horrifying thing happens in the entire series up to this point, when a maniacal, bloodied-up, feral version of Mr. Crouch comes hobbling out of the woods, looking like the undead, stuttering at Harry and thinking he's Weatherby. Wow, what an insult. And grasping at him to go get Dumbledore. Amid his fractured speech, we learn that Bertha Jorkins is dead. Oh, honey, at this point, we've been new. And that something about his son is all his fault. Harry tells Crumb to stay put and runs into the castle. As usual, Snape is no help whatsoever, but Dumble's ears been ringing, so he comes out of his office and goes down to where they found Crouch. Crouch and Victor are both gone until they find Victor unconscious. Dumble revives him and Crumb says that Crouch attacked him and escaped, and now Crumb needs a rabies shot. Karkaroff, Hagrid, and Fang also show up, to which Igor suddenly starts blathering about how this whole tournament was rigged, and Hagrid picks him and yeets him. Dumble is like, Hagrid, huh? Take a chill pill. Get Harry the fuck out of my sight. And all the way back up to see Fat Amy. Hagrid is kind of racist. Wow, this chapter was something else. The trio try to figure out what the fuck actually happened between Crumb and Crouch. Hermione reminds the boys again that you cannot fucking apparate on Hogwarts grounds and maybe they should read a book for once in their lives. After a suspicious run with the twins, they go visit Moody and learn that he did not find Crouch even with the help of the Marauder's Map. Harry receives a disappointing letter from Sirius basically telling him off for trying to make new friends. Ron suggests cat abuse while trying to help Harry learn new jinxes for the third task. Then it's time for Adam's favorite class, which is clearly not Harry's. Why can't you say the name of this class? She won't even say it. She's like shrugging. Because he falls asleep and has a crazy dream. Then he wakes up screaming. Well, he's not bored now. The little shrugging lady that was Tara two minutes ago because she's literally wearing a purple shirt just like Tara is right now. Actually, it's not purple. It's blue under this light. But anyways. But under the light, maybe it's blue. But it's actually purple. Oh, I thought it was blue and it looks purple under the light. This is that, like, that stupid dress. Oh, man. <laughs> he, he tells Trelawney he's going to the hospital wing, but lies and goes to Dumbledore's office where he guesses Dumby's password in like two minutes and then gets to eavesdrop on a private conversation. His favorite thing. Dumbledore acknowledges Harry, but says he's got to go into the woods with Fudge Packer and Moody to watch Hagrid and Madame Maxine fuck again. So Harry is left alone in his office when he is distracted by an illuminated birdbath. Harry approaches and notices that it's filled with milky liquid. First, he's like, ew, hi, Dumbledore. And he prods it with his wands. Ew, why, Harry? That's when he notices that a room appears. 
He leans closer and closer to the room to get a better look before his nose touches it and he literally falls into the stone basin, joining all the witches and wizards in that room, which appears to be an interrogation chamber. He quickly realizes that this is a memory, just like in the cursed diary. He sits among younger versions of Crouch, Dumbledore, and Moody and witnesses three scenes. One, Igor drops names about all of his murder buddies in order to get him off the hook. Igor? 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 <laughs> I just called him Igor. His name is Igor. <laughs> but you may, I guess, pronounce whatever you want. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it could be pronounced Igor. Uh, Igor drops names about all of his murder buddies in order to get him off the hook, getting more and more nervous about saving his own ass. Snape included. But Dumble says, oh hell no, get off my little Snape-a-doodle's back. Two, Bagman stands trial for leaking information unknowingly to a bad dude. But nobody votes for him to go to Azkaban because he is handsome and charming and athletic and probably, most importantly, white. Because you know who wrote these books. Three, Crouch sends his son away with sheets with a hole. Real life Dumble comes and pulls Harry out of the birdbath and shows him how he pulls silvery white memories out of his ear and puts them in the basin, which now has a name. The Pensieve. Among these memories, he shows Igor and Snape's dark mark tattoos becoming stronger and a teenage Bertha Jorkins being a bitch. He answers some questions like, Snape and Ludo are fine, I guess. And yes, Neville's parents were tortured by baddies and are now in the hospital. Then he's like, oh yeah, your scar was hurting. Harry tells him about the dream. Dumble looks pensive. Oh wow, I wonder if that's why the Pensieve is called that. Just add an E, there you go, how clever. I mean, lazy. Anyways, Dumble says that the scar is connected to Voldy and the curse that killed his parents, so it's likely the dream happened, and it's also highly likely Voldy is coming back to power. Anyway, good luck on the third task, Harry. Harry leaves Dumbledore's office after having looked into the Pensieve and learning all about them Azkabanians. He tells Ron and Hermione about it all, and after a lot of stress and angst and Ron's racism going playfully anti-giantism, Hermie's like, oh no, what I realized after all of this is that we didn't do any homework. Spring turns to summer as the threesome continues to work on hexes together. And because McGonagall keeps walking in on them since they refuse to leave a sock on the door, she lets them borrow her office. Kinky. While working one day, they see Malfoy and the boys, trademark newborn band. Yes, I approve this. <laughs> Being all shifty. They are shifty. Shifty boys. I think that should be the name of the band. <laughs> <laughs> Though that's not necessarily unusual. What is weird is Malfoy talking to his hand. That's like a very 90s thing, though. Talk to the hand. Sirius has become a helicopter mother in the worst sense of a showbiz parent. If you know, you know. The outside world doesn't matter. Focus on your art form. Don't get murdered, etc. And of course, as per usual in this book, Rita is up to some shenanigans in her writings, trying to say Harry has gone buggy and using... Ooh, that's a good pun, buggy. And using <laughs> Malfoy and some rando from St. Mungo's as her primary resources poor resourcing. Harry doesn't give two shits, but Hermione is buzzing with an epiphany on how Rita is getting her info. The Weasleys show up to wish Harry good luck, and it turns out Bill is hot. You know it. I know it. Fleur knows it. <laughs> Finally, we get to the task. Harry works through the maze like most men go through life, using his little stick to guide him. 
He ridiculous as a Dementor Bogart. He walks through some shimmer upside down mist. Scary, eh? Faces down a blast and it's Groot. Stupefies Crumb as he's torturing Cedric. Figure out a gorgeous Sphinx riddle and help Cedric again by taking down a giant spider. Wow, we got through that almost as fast as the movie. After Harry saves Cedric, they valiantly and rather gaily decide to grab it together. Oh my god. The cups, you pervs! <laughs> It turns out the Triwizard Cup is a porky! We left chapter 31 with Harry and Cedric grabbing the cup together! And Harry feeling a jerk behind his navel. <laughs> Whether that's the porky or Cedric's devilishly good looks, we may never know. Hashtag Hedrick, anyone? While this isn't Cedric and Harry's first time traveling by porky together, it will be their last. That's right, folks. Grab your puffs and plus tissues. This one's gonna hit you right in the fields. The pair land in a graveyard far, far away. That's right. We're not in Hogwarts anymore, kids. Thinking this is an additional part of the task, the two arm themselves as a hooded figure approaches. However, when they see the figure is carrying what looks like a swaddled baby, they let their guard down. A rookie mistake. Then, plot twist, Harry's star begins to seal with pain. Bet you didn't see that one coming. This one would have been an excellent cue to try the porky, or for Cedric to take a stab at side of apparition. But being that we're working with a Hufflepuff and a Gryffindor, no such logic was used. Word. Mm-hmm. The baby orders the figure to kill the spare. And with a flash of green light, the pride and joy of Hufflepuff House is dead. Is in the dining room right now. Stephen Witten. Woo! But not to worry, my dear Puffs and Diggory fans, Cedric returns in his own four-part spin-off series as a vampire who was an obsession who has an obsession with roll-on body glitter and poor taste in women. Meanwhile, in the graveyard, Harry is tied to a tombstone that reads Tom Riddle! And the puzzle pieces start to fall into place. We discover that the hooded figure is Dun, da, da, da. Skinny Dick, also known as Wormtail, filthy vermin, and the baby is Voldemort in the fetus-like splash. <laughs> we come to find that the key to Voldemort's return to power is to grow your own villain kit. Simply add bone of the father, unwilling given, blood of the enemy forcibly taken, and flesh of the servant willingly given to a cauldron of water. Place your Voldy baby into the pot and watch him grow to full size before your eyes. It's so simple, even a rat can do it. The Dark Lord returns to full size and our chapter comes to an end. A villain introductory chapter, a checklist, and it is in numerical bullet. Number one, the hero is in trouble. Number two, we meet a self-centered, creepy character who is probably disgustingly hideous. Number three, the character reveals himself as the villain, not by admitting that he's actually a piece of shit, but by spending 92% of the chapter spelling out his own self-important history through soliloquy. Number four, creepy ugly guy who talks too much and invites his friends over so that they can hear him monologue and cheer him on for successfully kidnapping a child. Number five, there is so much fucking exposition, like, so much. Number six, while giving the traditional, this is how I did it speech, this is how I did it. <laughs> oh 
Oh my god, what if he did it like that? What if he rapped? He probably did. The villain manages to insult his followers, tell one or two god-awful and tasteless jokes, and probably cause at least one person in attendance to fall asleep because he just won't shut the fuck up. Number seven, a child is literally tortured minutes after another child was murdered. And number eight, the villain promises everybody watching that he's going to kill the hero in front of them, but we all fucking know that ain't happening because there are still four chapters left in this book and three more books in the series. It's go time. Time to duel Voldemort again for the first time. IDK timelines are confusing as far as all this old magic or whatever the fuck slimy fetus cocaine man wants to call it. Harry wavers back and forth between giving up and staying strong, successfully staving off his imperious curse. So Voldy is like, okay, cool, time to Avada Kedavra. Bad move, dude. Haven't you read this book? Harry is the boy who lives, not the boy who dies. Harry and Voldy's wands connect. Sexy. V's given out a green current of electricity and Harry's given out a red one. Concerning? They collide in the middle and gold sparks are given off. Okay, sexy again. V looks super surprised, especially the two connected lovers float out of the circle jerk. Everyone is going wild, like, oh my god, what? And then the gold spark blossoms into a dome of protection over the two. Harry starts to hear Fox music and Dumblebee being like, you good, homie? Harry gets confident and while the spark starts to near his wand, he edges himself and the spark starts to go toward V's wand. V looks nervous. Then suddenly the spark collides and V comes ghost. Or sort of ghosts. It's actually some spirit particle of all the people he killed, including Cedric, Bertha, Mr. Riddle, probably. I'm not so sure, actually, but maybe. Could be. <laughs> and eventually Lily and James. They all get out pom-poms and start sis boo in favor of Harry. James is like, on a count of three, go get that porky. One, two, Cedric and Robson's like, hey, also go touch my body too, Harry. Harry's like, wow, I thought you'd never ask. Three! Harry launches the golden cage dome thing into the sky. Voldy has a tantrum when all of the ghostly figures bum rush him. Harry runs for his life, touches Cedric, Asios the port key, and gets the fuck out of there, narrowly missing stunning spells. And that's what it feels like to get your COVID vaccine. Harry, Cedric's body, and the Triwizard Cup land back at Hogwarts. Dumbledore and Fudge go to them, and, and Fudge stupidly announces that Cedric is dead. Because he's a fucking idiot. Then Harry is dragged from the scene by Mad-Eye Moody. Instead of taking the injured and traumatized child to the hospital wing, Moody takes Harry to his office where he interrogates him. Suddenly, he begins to go off on a classic villain rant, revealing his evil plan. Except he can't be a bad guy, can he? But it looks like Harry survived the graveyard only only to be murdered by someone he thought that he trusted. Until Dumble, McGuh, and fucking Snape barge into the office. Dumble overrides McGuh's request to take Harry to the hospital wing and instead sends her and Snape on individual quests to gather the necessary tools to wrap up this crazy mystery. While they are gone, Dumble reveals that Moody isn't really Moody and the real Moody has been held captive for months inside a cool, but maybe should be illegal magical trunk. Then he and Harry wait for the fake Moody to transform back into his real identity and as that is happening Snape and McGuh return just in time for Dumbledore to dramatically reveal that Moody was really Barty Crouch Jr. All along <laughs> gasp. Should I gasp here in real life? I don't know. <laughs> oh! 
That's it. That's the gas. Snape had been ordered to bring Winky up from the kitchens as well as a truth potion. Dumble forces Barty Crouch Jr. to drink the Veritas serum and Winky tries desperately to stop him from spilling the whole truth to everyone in the room. Short version, Barty Crouch Jr. is not dead. The long version includes several details that prove how fucked up the Crouch family was. Also, it includes Dumbledore patiently marking the notes off of his, just in case this DA professor is actually a death eater we thought was dead checklist and the truth of what happened the night that Barty Crouch Sr. disappeared. Dumbledore is pissed. After everyone learns the truth about the professor formerly known as Moody, the Hogwarts staff actually attempt to do their jobs for five minutes. Harry has to tell Sirius and Dumbledore all about his newest worst moment of his life, having to relive the horror again immediately. This kid has way too many worst moments of his life for someone so well adjusted. Dumbledore explains Priori Incantatum, and Harry learns that the phoenix feathers in his and Voldemort's wands come from Fox. All of Harry's friends are harassing one of the few people who actually attempts to keep students safe at Hogwarts, and Harry gets a wizard sedative. Fudge fudges things up while Dumbledore is trying to get him to get a move on this shitstorm to come. Snape is finally useful in a chapter for once, and shows everyone his dark mark. Fudge plops a bag of gold next to Harry at possibly the worst time, and goes off to keep doing an even shittier job of being Minister of Magic than he had been doing before. Dumbledore continues to try to get everyone's shit together, makes Snuffles the dog reveal his true identity as Sirius, and just barely prevents Snape and Sirius from getting into a dick measuring contest. How many times can we say wrong place, wrong time, guys? Mrs. Weasley yet again steps up to be a mom to Harry, something he has no memory of anyone ever doing for him. Insert 800 sobbing faces here. Hermione is loud but weirdly sneaky at the same time, and Harry finally finishes the sleeping potion and temporarily drifts into oblivion. Well, we have reached the last chapter of this mighty tome. It's time to wrap up those loose ends. Harry has a moment with the Diggories and tries to give them his tournament winnings, but they decline. Harry has a lovely conversation with Hagrid, who is simply the best. Cue the Tina Turner music. As long as he isn't being racist. Dumble addresses the school during the final feast, having a moment of silence for Cedric, commemorating Harry for his bravery, again, and telling the school that Voldy has returned. Harry says farewell to Victor and Fleur, and in a desperate attempt for a redemption story arc, Ron asks Victor for his autograph. Rita is captured in her bug form by Hermione, and Hermione is kind enough to not, once and for all, squash that bug. Something happens with Draco, but it is irrelevant, just like he is. The twins reveal that Bagman is a greedy bastard. We been new. Harry then finally offloads his blood money to the twins who will use it to fund their joke shop. And with that, another school year and time at Hogwarts has come to an end. What is to come now so that so much has changed? Well, I know one thing for sure, the future certainly seems... pink. Wow! That was beautiful. Oh, that was the, so the words great. of Hemingway. <laughs> we sure did that. <laughs> we sure did. So, happy holidays. Enjoy. They already did enjoy. No, enjoy the holidays. Oh, enjoy the ho- Sure, yeah. enjoy the holidays. Enjoy all the things. Enjoy. You deserve joy. It's a good... It's a good time of year. Good time of year. It's a good time of year for you to enjoy things. (laughs) So next week, we will not have an episode. Sorry. Yeah, we're taking just the last week of the year off, and uh, we're going to go do some good things on our own. Like drinking a bottle of whiskey. Cut this out if you don't want to do it. Okay. But for our patrons, you will still get something special next week. Oh, yeah. We don't know what it is yet. 
we want to surprise you just like we want to surprise ourselves. Yeah. So if you want something special next week anyway, sign up to be a patron. Yeah, give us a present of $3 a month. That would be nice. That'd be great. It's the holidays. Give back to the people who do things for you, including me and Tara. Basicsnitches.com. Click on the Patreon link. Or just go to patreon.com as basicsnitches. Yeah. But also, go to the website because the website's great. Yeah. You know what? We should probably acknowledge our patrons. The six patrons that we have right now while I'm editing this on October 12th are Brian, Olivia, Brittany, Mary Beth, Ashley, and Macy. There might be more of you that we've acknowledged already in like one or two episodes, but I'm editing this now so that we have it done. If you have also subscribed to our patron and I'm not acknowledging you right now, it'll happen soon. We still love you. So with that, we'll see you in 2022. I hope you have some New Year's resolution. And if you don't, that's okay too. A good resolution would be to subscribe to our patron. That's the only resolution you really need that I care about. What about you? I mean, if you want to make other ones to better yourself, that's cool and all, but... You can also benefit our lives by giving us a small amount of your money. Yes. We will take that and do wonderful things with it. Yes. Happy New Year. Bye! Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. Join our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram. I never update Twitter, but we have that. We do. Also email basicsnitches at gmail.com. We also now have a website, basicsnitches.com and a Patreon, patreon.com slash basicsnitches. Join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes. Taryn Telegra, dance bitch. I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out!